always committed to everything I did. So from day one of saying, I'm going to be the person who creates these indulgent, delicious treats, I was adamant that I wasn't going to fail. And even when people were telling me gluten-free is a fad and vegan is just so niche and it's not going to catch on, I was like, you wait, I'll show you. Welcome to the Boss Bay Podcast, a place where we share with you the real behind the scenes of building successful businesses, achieving peak performance, and learning how to balance it all. I'm Danielle Canty, president and co-founder of Boss Babe, and your host for this episode. Now, today I am interviewing Olivia Wallenberg, founder of Olivia's Kitchen, a company that has revolutionized the sweet snacking market in the UK. Now, Olivia's Kitchen, as we hear so often, was actually born from its founder, Olivia, trying to solve a problem that she personally faced all of the time because she was actually suffering from a variety of food intolerance issues and she really struggled to find indulgent treats that were actually made with natural ingredients. And that's how she went on to discover a clear gap in the market that she wanted to fill. In this interview, Olivia keeps it very real regarding her entrepreneurial journey. We all know it's full of ups and downs and Olivia shares stories about how she had to drive around, drop off products to influencers, to facing rejection over and over again and actually overcoming objections and problems on a daily basis. And what I love most about this interview is Olivia was also very transparent about the challenges that she faced raising money as a young woman. I've touched on this a few times in past interviews, but I feel as though these conversations around women raising money are not had enough. So along with talking about where to begin when you want to raise money, the difference between crowdfunding and angel investing, talking about Olivia's personal journey of raising money without even a slide deck, I'll add, we also spoke about how the experience of a man raising money. So, so much to cover here. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And if that wasn't enough, we also discussed what a huge tool Instagram marketing played in Livia's Kitchen, becoming the UK's fastest growing free from treat brand with products in 5,000 UK stores. And you know, we love a little bit of Instagram, so we're going to be lifting all the lids on that. Now, Olivia is real and more, like I said, and in this interview, you are going to see her unapologetic ambition really shine through. Trust me when I say you're going to leave this interview feeling powerful and ready to tackle anything that comes your way. And as always, I really would love for you to share your screenshots. So tag myself at Danielle County and tag at bossbabe.inc. A boss babe is unapologetically ambitious and paves the way for herself and other women to rise, keep going, and fighting on. She is on a mission to be her best self in all areas. It's just believing in yourself. Confidently stepping outside her comfort zone to create her own vision of success. Welcome, Livia, to the Boss Babe podcast. I am so excited to have you on here because Natty and I have personally been following your entrepreneurial journey for quite some time. So it feels just really amazing to bring you on here and allow you to share your experience over the last few years as you've been building such an amazing company with our listeners because I know they're always excited to discover and learn from ambitious women. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So right from the beginning, I love like, giving people a little bit of a story. For those of our listeners who are not aware from you, because we have uh, listeners from all over the world and your business is based in the UK, yeah. do you want to share about a little bit about Livia's and how that was born? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Livia's is a brand that specializes in creating the most indulgent sweet treats, but with a twist. So everything we do is plant-based, it's always vegan, always gluten-free, dairy-free, and always natural. So we never use any additives and preservatives, but it's all about indulgence and satisfying those sweet cravings um, and never, ever compromising on taste. So I came up with the idea when I myself was diagnosed with intolerances to pretty much everything under the sun, um, which is now about six years ago. And at the time I was studying neuroscience, very, very much committed to pursuing a career in pediatric neuropsychology. So that's working with children with brain injury. Mm -hmm. And I reached a crossroads with studying. I'd been doing it for coming up to six years and I began to question whether it was the right thing for me um, pursuing a career in academia. I found it quite lonely and I felt quite isolated sometimes. And at the same time as having those questions about my career, I was then diagnosed with intolerances to wheat, dairy, lots of other things like garlic, onion. Um, It was not fun to be my friend at that time. I really couldn't go out to eat or do anything fun at all. And I realized very, very quickly that there was nothing at all in the market that was free from all of those things that I had to stay away from, but that actually tasted good. There was coming into the market in the UK, there were lots of date and nut bars and energy balls, but those weren't things that you really wanted to cuff, uh, dunk into a cup of tea. <laughs> it felt really nostalgic and indulgent. And I was all about full on frosted chocolate cupcake and jam filled donut and I loved having my treat time at tea time and there was just nothing that I could have I think the U.S. was always far ahead of us and I had visited U.S. once or twice a year and I had seen that vegan plant-based gluten-free was really Mm. huge in the U.S. but it wasn't so much in the U.K. at this time so I really struggled to find treats that I could eat So instead of going on a search, I actually decided that I could solve the problem myself. And that's what I did. So in my parents' kitchen, where I was still living at home with my parents, I started experimenting, trying to bake things with all the ingredients I could eat, and actually realized that it was pretty easy and straightforward because you're using such simple natural ingredients and you can make things taste really really good very easily I love that because that is such a boss babe move to be like hey (laughs) I need this it doesn't exist you know what I'm gonna build a business based on it why not (laughs) I absolutely love that yeah I'd always been someone who just I can't do anything by half so when I was studying neuroscience I, I had to study for 15 hours a day I had to get the best grades I was always committed to everything I did so from day one of saying I'm going to be the person who creates these indulgent delicious treats but with a nutritional twist I was committed to it from the very first second and I was adamant that I wasn't going to fail and even when people were telling me gluten-free is a fad and vegan Mm. is just so niche and it's not going to catch on I was like you wait I'll show you (laughs) I love that. Such a great attitude as well to be like, nah, where there's a will, there's a way. I'm yeah, doing exactly. this. So there's a couple of things that I just really want to double tap on because I think these are some key things that you've mentioned. And one of those is like, obviously your company was born because you had that problem and because you wanted to solve it. I hear that. But there was 
something that you said where you saw the US was ahead, you'd seen companies out there. And I think this is a big thing that a lot of women who are thinking about their businesses and they're not really sure what to do. They know what they want to have a business and maybe they have a passion towards something, but actually looking at what else is out there in other countries and doing bits of market research is so key. So once you'd seen this happening in the US and was like, okay, what's not happening in the UK? Did you go in and do more investigation into those companies that you saw? Because one thing we get asked is like, okay, who do you look up to that you would like to be like? And I think that's something that is really just a message to bring back to a lot of female entrepreneurs. It's like looking in the markets is so, so important. Yeah, absolutely. Even now today, I would say there aren't many companies that we directly similar to. So in the US, I got a lot of my inspiration from the healthier restaurants that I was going to. I spent a lot of time in LA and you'll know that you can go anywhere pretty much and you can order the gluten-free version or the plant-based version. And that was just so new to me from being in the UK. And I realized that actually what was so appealing about those dishes was that they weren't so scary. They weren't like a green kale spirulina shape. It was a pizza, but with a cauliflower crust and all of these things that felt really nostalgic and recognizable but done in a different way and so that's where I got the idea to keep coming up with treats that didn't feel so different and almost scary that would scare most mainstream customers off but actually to come up with something that they recognize and even loved and have eaten all their life but that's made in a different way so I did loads of research into how those things were made but there wasn't actually at the time they said a company that was the one that we looked up to as such but in a way that gave me more freedom to create it myself I think when I do talk sometimes we sometimes talk about role models and aspiring one particular company and I do think that sometimes that can actually hold you back because you're trying too much to be that one company that you look up to. Whereas if you go into it and you say, there is a problem here and I'm solving the problem and you're very open to how you're going to solve that problem, I think you give yourself a better chance of standing out and being unique. I love that. So true. So let's take it back to, got the idea, in your mom's kitchen, making these treats, etc. Yeah. What next? Oh gosh, those um, first few weeks even, I I mean, I break it down into days and weeks then because every (laughs) single day was so important. Um, It was madness, honestly. I wish we had had a video in the corner of my parents' (laughs) kitchen just so that you could see what went down. It was chaotic. So the first thing was deciding what product I was going to launch. So I wanted to be known for something. I think when you no one really and you're just starting out you have to have a product that catches on and I decided that that product was going to be a crumble so for uh, in the UK everyone will know what crumble is in America Mm -hmm. it's the equivalent of like a cobbler an apple cobbler so a very very nostalgic well-known pudding and that I was going to create with a twist But I came up with an amazing recipe for them. And then I was like, okay, these taste really good. I started giving them to friends and family. Everyone was like, oh my God, how do you make those? Just eight ingredients. Normally they have like 25 if you buy them from a store and lots of additives and preservatives. Everyone was amazed. But I was like, okay, this is great. But now what? 
So I had a great recipe, but I had no idea how to then start going about selling it. I had no idea about business fundamentals. So I enrolled myself onto a business course at UCL, which was the university that I went to in London. They did a course which they called the Entrepreneurathon, which was an eight-week fast-track MBA. And that's where I learned about uh, fundamentals of business, cash flow and forecasting and There's finance and supply and all of the different areas that you would need to start thinking about as you grow a business. And even today, I still bring out notes that I made in those early days Mm -hmm. of such a beautiful course. And I've always been someone from day one to recognize what my strengths and my weaknesses are. And I think that's really key when starting a business. You can't be an expert in everything. What I was good at, I knew that was coming up with these ideas of products and I knew I was going to be able to be the marketeer for them. Mm-hmm. But I did not know how to build a PL or cash flow or anything like that. So I recognized that was a weakness and I fixed it straight away. So I went on that course and during that course I thought let's not waste any time here. Let's start showing people these products because I didn't want to waste any time I felt in my bones that this was going to be a very very fast moving sector and I didn't want anyone to beat me to it so I literally drove around the country when I wasn't studying so day and night my parents actually helped me they'd wake up with me at 5am in the morning drive crumbles around the whole country so we'd deliver them to social media influencers, press, all sorts, buyers of Mm. stores, initially got no traction, but then I started to get a little, and it was from just delivering them to people's doors that I started getting a little bit of a social media following, and the traction just came from there, from people endorsing me. And that's how I got my first meeting with Selfridges, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a big department store in London, very well known. Eventually, after six emails and having been ignored by the Selfridges buyer, she said, oh, come in, fine, tell me whatever it is that you're trying Mm -hmm. to sell to me, I'll give you 20 minutes. And I went in and that 20 minute meeting turned into two hours. We really got on. She loved the product. She loved what it was about. And she said, whenever you're ready to start selling these, we're ready. We'll take you on. So that's really how it all got going for me. That is amazing. I do want to just circle back around to that point though as well because I think it's really, really important that you managed to get your foot in the door with Selfridges, which was obviously such a key and pivotal point to your business. But prior to that, you had had a lot of rejection. And like you say, it was driving around and dropping things off with influencers. Yeah. I want to just really say, how did you overcome those pieces of rejection because I feel like that's one thing I actually did an amazing interview the other week with Jim Jim Quick and we were talking about when you're a child you fall over and you get back up and you don't even think about it you learn to walk and how many times as toddlers do you fall over and get back up and children he was saying that children learn really well because they are not afraid to fail and try again and as adults we lose that so how did you face rejection over and over again how did you pick yourself up and get on with it were there moments where you're like oh I don't know if this is gonna work maybe I'm wrong like what was your mindset and how did you keep that mindset going throughout that time it's it's such a good question um I think it goes back to how you're brought up a lot of it does I think the message that you learn throughout your childhood 
if it's okay to fail, but keep on going, keep on trying, that will encourage you as an adult to be that sort of person. And that's the message that I always got from my parents. My dad, for example, has started a number of businesses, some that have done really well, but some that really haven't. And he always taught me that that's okay. And that's part of the journey. And so I always had that level of determination and resilience, I think, from him. Also, just from the course that I did, I did a very, very high pressured course at UCL. And I was nowhere near as qualified as most people were to do that. But I got in because I made myself get into that course. I worked so, so hard, probably harder than anyone else needed to do. And I was never the best and I was striving to be so I wouldn't ever get as good grades as everyone else and that made me more and more determined to be better and better and the same applies for business I think when I started out and I started delivering these crumbles I'd baked hours for delivering them spending hours in the car with my parents driving up and down the country and then I didn't hear anything back or I'd hear yeah these are good but I'm not sure if I'd spend any money on them it just made me more determined I'm just that sort of person that when I hear it's not quite right I want to make sure that it's right and it makes me even more focused to Mm -hmm. get it right I'm very open to criticism as well so if the criticism is constructive I always take it on and there's such a difference between just criticism and constructive criticism and all the constructive criticism I received at the beginning and even receive now that is part of why we are who we are as a brand and as a team because we listen we listen really really carefully because sometimes it's really valuable and I don't think anyone is ever too good to receive that sort of criticism and I've always been open to it But at the same time, you have to pick and choose that there will always be people who are wanting you to fail for no apparent reason. So don't listen to those people, but listen to the people who actually give valuable criticism and take it on and try and do better. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass is one of my favorite self-development platforms. And I want to take a minute to talk about it because it's a place that I continue to refer back to every time I'm looking for inspiration and education. So if you haven't explored Masterclass yet, go to masterclass.com slash boss babe and scroll through some of the categories. I think you'll really love it. There are over 200 classes to pick from with new classes added every single month. I recently enjoyed watching Anna DuVernay's class titled Reframe Your Thinking. She's an award-winning filmmaker and she walks you through how to reverse engineer a plan to defy your limits and reach the goal that you have in your vision. So not only does Masterclass have really tangible business development classes, but also includes classes in 10 other categories like food, woman lifestyle, music, wellness, design, so many more. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash boss babe. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash boss babe masterclass.com slash boss babe this year learn from the best to become the best with masterclass the theme of this year at boss babe is keeping things simple 2024 is already off to an incredible start team boss babe is coming off a huge launch that felt so easy 
so stress-free and honestly energizing, which says a lot. Quick backstory, last year we did a full platform audit of the subscriptions, platforms and products we were using to run everything behind the scenes and basically cancelled 75% of our subscriptions to go all in on one platform, Kajabi. Listen, you guys, when I tell you I did the research, I did the research. Kajabi is our podcast sponsor and one of the main reasons we had effortless checkouts and an amazing customer experience during our most recent launch. The platform has everything you need to build a business online and allows for unlimited ways to diversify your revenue, build your brand, and turn your audience into paying customers. We actually used to have a custom membership platform. We moved all of our membership to Kajabi and it looks better and functions way easier than ever. We also used to have different platforms for things like landing pages, funnels, email campaigns, checkouts, you name it. And it is a breath of fresh air to have everything in one place in Kajabi. There's no need to have multiple platforms with zaps tying them all together. Instead, I really encourage you to go all in on one platform and I'm the biggest fan of Kajabi. They typically don't have extended free trials like this, but right now you can head to kajabi.com slash boss babe and get started with your free 30 day trial. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash boss babe for 30 days completely free to play in the platform and see if you love it just as much as we do. That's kajabi.com slash boss babe. I think that's really key as well because when people are starting businesses in the early stages, there are people who are going to voice an opinion and it might seem sometimes, oh my goodness, maybe their opinion is right versus mine. But we always say that you take mentorship or you take advice from people who have walked the line that you want to walk or they've gone in the direction that you want to go in. Or like you say, they are the exact consumers who are going to be consuming your food products. And I think that is another really valid point around going, always be careful about where you take advice from. Not all advice is good advice. Like not all feedback is good feedback. And just being able to recognize that as an entrepreneur, I think has a really, really key piece. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There are some times when I've had a really long day and I'm tired and I do have a wobble. I'll, I'll read a negative comment and I think, oh, and it does get yeah. to me, still gets to me today. Mm-hmm. But I think exactly like you said, you rise above it because you realize sometimes that that comment that you've just read that has got you down actually really isn't valuable. And there's nothing mm-hmm. actually that you can do from it. But it's the comments that it's the criticism that you realize actually maybe they did have a valid point and I can actually act on this that's when you realize that you should take it on board yeah so true so let's just go back around to the fact that you said earlier on that finances were not your strong point <laughs> but yet you've gone on to raise to get Livia's to where it is right now you've gone on to raise money so I want to talk about what process has been like from you what have been the ups and the downs of that let's get real behind the scenes because I oh, definitely gosh. feel like there's a bit of a a cloak around this subject of raising and people yeah. like who have not raised really don't get it they don't necessarily and I'm speaking that for myself I've not gone through a raise so yeah. tell us what is that like what does it entail what are the responsibilities? Just give us all the details. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so happy to share on this because when I started, I had no idea about fundraising, like you say. There's so much actually to know. The best way to learn is through doing it. So when I started, I came straight out of university. So I didn't have any savings from a previous job. I'd never had a proper job before other than working through my summers at university. 
so I had no savings and I knew if I was going to go big at this, I was going to have to raise some money pretty much from day one. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I did was started speaking to friends and family about my idea and giving them the products. And there was so much encouragement from them. And I realized, actually, maybe I could get some money from them. And that's what I did in the first instance. Now, looking back, I think a lot of similar brands to us, food and drink brands, the first raise that they do is through crowdfunding. I didn't even know what crowdfunding was (laughs) when I started, but I think in hindsight, it probably would have been a good idea at that point because you can get some great investors on board and it's a great marketing tool as well, crowdfunding. And you go out to the And let's explain. Yeah, let's let's explain what that is for those who don't know as well. Crowdfunding, there are platforms, um, for example, Cedars and Crowdcube. I'm sure that there are different ones in America and all different countries, but those are two of the main ones in the UK. And you put a platform out, so you almost have your own profile, and you start raising money through that profile. You tell everyone who you are as a founder, what the company is about, and then you say, we're looking to raise, for an example, £100,000, and we are doing it at X valuation, and you invite all sorts of investors on. So I could be an investor, for example, I could sign up as an investor on these platforms. There could be investors like me who really haven't got much experience and who just are interested in putting their money in a few things, or there could be really experienced investors on there. So there's a really huge range of what type of investor you can bring on at that point, which I think as a startup is actually really appealing because you can get all sorts of people and it's a really good way of putting your brand out there to people who are interested in business. So it's a marketing tool as well as a fundraising tool. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know about that. So I raised initially through friends and family. And that's when I learned, oh, someone gives me money. And so I give them shares, mm-hmm. <laughs> equity. That's how I yeah. learned on the go. And then actually for the first few years, that is how we continued to raise. So I very much wanted to steer away from institutional funds. So when I say institutional funds, I mean private equity, venture capital, because there's a lot of stigma about those sorts of funds when you're starting a company from ground up. And Mm. when you're a founder like me, when it's very much a founder-led company, there have been a lot of stories about if you get an institutional fund on too early, that can really crush the culture. So we stayed away from that. And we raised continuously through individuals. So angel investors, friends and families, just through my network, really, as you go on and you do, you meet so many different sorts of people through all different paths. And that's who have been investing in our company pretty much until the end of last year, when it was the right time for us to bring a slightly more institutional investor on board with the VC. And that has been really helpful because a VC, a venture capital fund can bring you so much in terms of experience, introduce you to the right sorts of people. So it's not just money, but it's who they can introduce you to and how they can help in different ways. Do they have connections with retailers or can they help you with overseas Mm -hmm. export or that you start realizing that you actually have to be as choosy as they do. So it's not just them, whether they are interested in you, it's whether you are interested in them. Love that. One of the biggest bits of advice I would give is 
when someone invests in your company, especially if they're putting a large chunk of money in, you are essentially married to that person. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure that you get on with them. So never ever raise money in a rush. You always want it, they will do due diligence on your company and you have to do due diligence on their company, mm-hmm. but them as people as well. So you should take it out of the work context, go for a drink with them or a meal, take it, make them a advice. Really experiment to see whether you can work with them and in what capacity, because you want to make sure that when times get rough, they'll be your supporters instead of people who really come crashing down on you. So I really have learned that. Um, There have been some people who have invested in our company who have just, in ways... We haven't had a bad experience, but they really haven't done much. They've been very silent, which is okay. And then some who have gone over and beyond to be incredibly helpful. So before raising money, I would just always say, make sure you're doing it from the right people who you get on with and understand what it is that you want. Is it just money? And if it's just money, then make sure that that investor is going to stay silent and they're not Mm. checking up on you all the time. But if you want money as well as expertise and experience in what you're doing and connections and all of that stuff, then make sure that they have it because a lot of people will say that they do, but they actually don't. So do a little digging. I think that's really some really key thing points there is that, like you say, it's not would you marry them, but you need to make sure you date them. And I think it's really important. And just also like you would date anyone, appreciate there's a honeymoon period and what are they like when you've got to know them a little bit more. So I think there's some really key bits of advice there because on the surface, everyone can seem nice as pie. And one thing, a friend of mine who um, raised and exited very successfully, she said to me that when she was looking to bring on her venture capital firm, she actually started like asking other people and questions like you would when you're hiring you go to references yeah, you have to get references so yeah. we'll look at who their portfolio companies are so you can either find that out online or you just mm-hmm. explicitly ask them the question who else have you invested in and then you say can I speak to the founders of those companies you have to that's a must for sure yeah. Okay, so I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Please stay tuned as we share a bit of information about who supported this episode so far. This episode is brought to you by Care Of. If you've been following us for a while, you'll know how much we love supplements here at Boss Babe. Anything to maximize our productivity, focus, and overall well-being, we are in. But when it comes to supplements, it isn't a one-size-fits-all. And it can also be really, really overwhelming and confusing to even know where to start on the vitamin aisle. And that's why I use Care Of. Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals. Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best every single day and supports you not in the short term, but the long term too. Care Of can make taking your vitamins and supporting your health goals attainable and easy because after taking a short five minute quiz, you get recommended the daily individual wrap packets that you need to take and it's absolutely perfect for getting your routine back on track. I really love Care Of because it's super transparent also about the research and sourcing behind every one of their products. And if you go to their website, you can see an extensive list of everything you need to know about their ingredients, but also fun and informative content on their social media pages too. 
I've actually been using Care Off for a few months now and I've really noticed a difference in the improvement in my productivity especially because as the president and co-founder of Boss Babe, it can be a little bit overwhelming and sometimes, dare I say, a little bit stressful. But since taking my recommended supplements, I feel so much more focused and clear-headed and I'm also sleeping a ton better too. Now, all you need to do is head to Care Of's in-depth five-minute online quiz to really find out exactly what you need to take and what's going to suit you. They ask you some simple questions about your diet, your lifestyle, and your health concerns. And then they actually create or tell you basically which supplements that are going to help you achieve your specific goals. So for everyone that's listening, you're going to receive 50% off your first order by going to takecareof.com forward slash bossbabe50 and entering the code bossbabe50. So if you are looking for a more tailored supplement plan, all you have to do is head to the website, takecareof.com and fill in the questionnaire. It's going to ask you things like how much sleep do you get? How often do you work out? Do you follow any specific diets? And from there, they're going to give you recommendations. So like I said, you go to takecareof.com forward slash bossbabe50 and enter bossbabe50 for a 50% off your first order. And we're back. Let's jump back into today's episode. I think just these bits of advice are just so important because I don't think people, like I say, we're just not talking about it enough. And I know that it's a question that we get asked a lot in our membership or should I raise? Yeah. And I'm like, it's really not about should you raise, it's about what do you want to achieve you in your business yeah. and your life? What do you want your life to look yeah. like as well? Because when you take money, there's responsibility with that too. I think there's huge stigma about raising money. I think, especially I find with female-led businesses where it's there's almost like, some people have too much pride to say that they've had to raise money because they think it's a sign that the company isn't doing well enough, maybe not having made enough profit, but actually it could be that you're just growing so quick. With our company, we've been in triple digit growth since we started. And so to fund that growth, you need to have a lot of money in the bank. And that's why I've never, ever shied away from fundraising. I actually really welcome it. And I really open to talking about it as well because I'm not ashamed of having raised previously and that I'm having to raise again I think everyone should talk about it and the more that people like me give advice on who to raise from and how the easier it will be for people starting businesses I love that and so when you go to raise let's let's stay on the subject because I feel like we're talking about it and that's like one of the biggest steps so when you decided to raise and how did you even create that first deck were you googling it like did you get advice so from very very early on it's actually really funny I haven't thought about this in years so I didn't actually have a business plan like a deck essentially for the first three years of my business (laughs) really sums me up as a person everyone says to me and my team like how are you running a business like this like, I have everything in my head so I can't like, I don't store anything and I don't make decks and presentations or excel files like it's all in my head and you're giving me anxiety <laughs> oh my god I give so many people anxiety you should see my FD she literally can't cope with me <laughs> We have a joke because in the boss babe, I'm just a systems person. I'm always like, it sounds really morbid, but I'm always like, if anyone for whatever reason cannot come into work one day, we need to make sure it's written down. Yeah, well, you know what? I am that person, but I recognize <laughs> that that is needs to be done, but it's not me. With you, it's okay. <laughs> 
So we like, that is not my strength. Like I said at the beginning, I recognize what my strengths are. One of my huge weaknesses is that I cannot file things properly. (laughs) So I had never actually made a deck. And this goes, um, we can talk about this later, perhaps, of how I went about selling the product into retailers. But most people always did things with a deck. And I knew that because when I did my business course, early on at UCL, they showed us how to make a business plan, a great presentation. But when people were presenting, I often found that it was very static and it was, I found the presentation, yeah, I mean, I think the word is prescribed. They would learn what to say when something came on the screen and it just seemed very rehearsed. What I have always been about is I give people product and I let them experience that when I'm speaking to them. So I've never spoken to an investor without having sent them a box of treats for them to try mm-hmm. beforehand, because yeah. that's what we're about. Have they had that treat moment with us and have they recognized that we're all about indulgence and satisfying those sweet cravings? They have to have experienced that before I can really speak to them about what I'm about and what the brand is about Mm -hmm. and then for example with this podcast and with everything that I do whether it's raising money or whether it's selling into a retailer there's no one who knows the brand better than I do yeah and there's no one who can talk about the products like I can so I go in and I go in with products and I just talk I've never gone in to any meeting I've had with a presentation ever I've never gone with a notebook ever I go in I go with product and I have a conversation and if it doesn't go as well as I thought if they say oh yeah I I like this but maybe it's not right for my category I ask why I ask questions and I'll go back and I'll talk about that with my team and I'll, I'll give them the feedback and we incorporate that into the next time we have a meeting but Going back to your question of what did the first deck look like? So like I said, I didn't have one for the first three years. But then as we started raising bigger chunks of money, I realized that actually I was going to have to start going out to more people and people who were more experienced. And that's what they expected. I couldn't go for hundreds of meetings with people. It was actually, I was going to have to send a deck and then filter down who was interested and who wasn't. The first deck now, I remember being so proud of it. And I had help from some of my team members. We thought it looked great. Now looking back on it, I can't believe we put in there. (laughs) And it's only two years ago. But I look at it, it looks archaic. And I don't know why I was talking about the things I was talking about. But what I did do and what I still do today is I show graphs. Investors love graphs. Investors love to easily translate what you're doing is working so if you show them a graph with upward trajectories and you can see that your growth is soaring and your sales are soaring and you can make it really really clear what your aims and your missions are then it's simple to win them over I love that just giving them north star exactly where you're heading so it's super super clear for them and I want to ask this is be a little bit of a more of an uncomfortable conversation but I think it's really important how have you found raising as a woman because the statistics show 
that women-led companies have less money invested in at VC level, mm-hmm. yet they are also most likely to succeed long term. So I'm really interested whether you received any pushback or any kind of resistance around that. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Yeah, and again, I'm very, very happy to talk about this openly because I think it is important. I would say that I've seen both sides of it. Um, I think that in some circumstances, it's really helped that I've been a young woman going in by myself, raising money. I think that a lot of people want to say that they're backing people like me, even if they don't actively want to themselves, it looks good for them to be backing women and therefore they take special interest in it. So I think in some ways it has played to my advantage. In other ways, it has been really difficult. One thing that is worth mentioning is that I'm obviously a sole founder, so not just a young woman, but I'm doing this alone. So when I go and raise money, I've never, ever gone with anyone. And I think even as a man, that would be intimidating. Most people within my industry have a partner. It's quite rare in this industry that we're in to be a sole founder. So you can't help but get intimidated sometimes when you're meeting someone who is worth billions and you know that they have started some of the world's most successful companies going and talking to them about your little startup. You can't help but be intimidated. And unfortunately, I have experienced some very, very uncomfortable questions. And looking back at when that happened, I feel pretty ashamed at how I responded to them so I've been asked a number of times stop presenting I'll start talking about my products and getting people to try them and I'll get interrupted with and when are you planning on having a family so I know no oh my goodness I have been asked that three times by people that if I I would never mention their names but if I did it it would be mortifying for them because it is just so unacceptable and I'm the person I don't know if you can tell this podcast but I'm an open person and when I don't like how things are I talk about it but actually in all of those situations I answered because I was so intimidated and I was so taken aback that when you're in a room, when you're in, and also you're always in their room, they very rarely come to your space. You're always in their space. And when you get asked by a much, much older guy, a question like that, and you're in your zone, you're in your selling zone, presenting and talking about your world and you get interrupted with that difficult question, inappropriate and should never be asked. I've just always answered it. And in hindsight, I wish I would have stood up and said, I'm not going there. I know we don't even need to carry on with this meeting because you've just made it plain and clear that I don't want an investor like you coming into my business. And I've always walked away feeling that and I've never, ever engaged with those people afterwards, even when they've tried. But I never said anything in the meeting and I do wish I had. And it really goes to show that we do face those difficulties as women in business And it's not just direct questions like that, but actually sometimes it's more indirect questions that can be very challenging. I listened to a TED talk a couple of years ago, which was about the gender bias in raising money. 
and that men are always asked opportunistic questions. How big is the market? How big do you plan to grow? Women get asked questions that mean that they have to defend themselves. So it's protective questions. So who are the other brands? Who are your competitive brands? And how are you going to make sure that you're better than them? And you're always asked to justify yourself. And I see that a lot. So rather than people truly wanting to understand the opportunity, it's more of just how am I going to protect the brand against everything around me? That's so, so interesting. And I think, you know, we're life is about learning and I first of all just want to acknowledge you for saying like okay on hindsight maybe you could have answered these in a different way yeah. but I think giving yourself a grace and being well do you know what next time I will I'm ready now and sometimes yeah. it takes a lot to stand up it takes a lot of energy to stand up and I think there's a conversation like I say a gender and race and I think you know moving forwards are all aware now of how we can do better and will do better and giving more voice to it really helps as having this open conversation and I think you sharing that your experiences also allows other women who are listening who are perhaps considering raising or perhaps already have raised want to be prepared for those unfortunately be prepared for those questions and have those comebacks and feel like you're prepped and ready to say what you want to say and is on the heart and needs I to hope said. so I do I really hope so that's always what my intention is when I come on podcasts like this because I wish that I had heard stories like this before I started because it would have just made me so much more prepared yeah because as we prepare to challenge it then we can educate whilst we're challenging as well right well actually this is why you should not ask this question and like you say that that sass of the hair flickers you're like you know what I don't want you to invest in my company see ya exactly (laughs) exactly see ya your loss 100% thank you for sharing that okay so I just want we said we were coming back to it and so I want to you now supply some uh, huge stores within the UK all right you mentioned Selfridges being one of the first ones but I know that I've bought your products from all the big chain supermarkets when I did live in the UK so just talk to me about how that process has been for you selling to them getting in those stores building those relationships what's that look like Yeah, so we had a really unusual experience with selling into retailers. It all stemmed from my social media, so my Instagram. Mm. I focused, I always explain it, Instagram is almost at the core of our business and it will always be. So it has been as much a focus as building the product line and selling into retail. And because I've put so much time and energy into the social media platform I have made sure to reach out to the right people and to allow the right people to reach out to me Mm -hmm. and so actually a lot of brands of our size would say that they were emailing and emailing and emailing buyers like I did for Selfridges but actually what happened with us was we got into Selfridges, which was an amazing shop floor for us. It was a shop window, really. It was people would go in there, see our brand for the first time and then recognize it. And what happened was a lot of buyers were going into Selfridges to see who the new up and coming brands were. And I actually got approached by the majority of the retailers that we're now listed in through that. So I got messages through Instagram 
from all the main buyers, from Tesco, Sainsbury's, Boots, for example, Holland and Barrett, Waitrose, because they had seen my products, whether it was in Whole Foods or Selfridges, and then they came to me. So, of course, there have been circumstances where with some retailers, I've wanted to speak to different buyers. And of course, I've had to find people's names and reach out to them. But actually, I would say it's shown me and I hope other people as well, the importance of having great social media because people have seen our products and our brand in a store like Selfridges and then they search us on social media and they're like oh wow this brand actually looks really good and wow that post is mouth-watering and okay actually Mm. I think I should have a conversation with this brand because they would be really good to bring in whereas if they had gone to Selfridges saw our great products and then landed on our page which was meh I wonder whether we would have ever gotten a message from them so I think our Instagram page is definitely played a huge part in that process and I started having conversations with them and like I said I'm always just me and I don't pretend to be anything else so early on I'll never forget when I started having meetings with people like Waitrose and Ocado and Sainsbury's I really played up to the fact that I was very innocent I said okay you tell me how this works and most of the time they really respected that and no one tried it on really no one said okay well what we do is we try and get 99% margin and I would I would have known no different but actually everyone was like okay this is quite amazing that she's learning on the job and she's opening herself up to the fact that she's not an expert but this is how she will become one and I think because I was always very very transparent about who I am and what we are trying to be as a brand buyers just really resonated with that and so I developed really good relationships very early on and then a part of the the whole picture is who I bring in for my team because those people are going to carry on and start new relationships and I've always just made sure that the people who I bring in the team are personable people and trustworthy people and people who have my similar style. I don't bring people in who are classic sellers who wear suits and who present in a traditional way, but actually they do it in a very similar way to me. And so whether it's me that goes into the meeting or whether it's my commercial director or someone in the sales team, it all feels the same. And I think that's yeah. really important. So true. And we always teach in our membership about the customer journey. And I think this applies, like you say, for even buyers, they're they're customers at the end of the day. But having those two interactions before purchase, so there's that, first of all, that is awareness when they're first discovering you. But if you think of any brand that you buy from, you always do a bit of research on them. So you might go okay I've seen them in a store I'm gonna look at their social media or you've seen them in social media and then you see them in the store and you're looking a little bit more or you go on their website everyone always wants that second reassurance before they buy and there's that saying isn't it like you buy seven times before you buy you have to see a brand and I think it's gone up to 11 because of the content we consume but I think you're talking about social media being um, important and obviously I 100% agree with that because obviously that's how we built Boss Babe but I do think like that's one thing that people always need to consider in their businesses if people are going to find you in one place they always need to be able to find you in 
two or three more as well to really confirm like oh you're a reputable brand for yes I absolutely agree and I think COVID has just cemented that because a lot of brands who Mm. were just doing one thing just being sold online or just being sold in retail or just being sold in food service cafes and theaters and out of home is what we call it here if you just have that one source then you're kind of screwed covid has shown that you need to have everything going for you so when it hit with us retail was hit so badly and a lot of our sales were coming from places like boots meal deal and the supermarkets where people were just going grab a quick snack with their sandwich and drink and obviously of course with lockdown no one was doing that so we had to very very quickly think of what else we can do and that was all about digital for us so digital in the last couple of months for us has grown 600 percent and so it's an online platform website we've been able to launch new products that are sold exclusively through our website and as well just engagement on our social media and I said to my whole team even if sales are zero, if we can grow our social media at this time, then that's a win. And we've been able to do both, which is amazing. But like you said, you need to have all platforms going for you. You need to think about all bases and cover them all. Yeah, 100%. And I really love hearing how you have shifted during COVID and just hearing that actually you've had such improvements in other areas, because I also think that is just a testament to you as a businesswoman and your team around being open to pivot and we start this conversation as well by being open-minded and always wanting to learn about it and you've continued doing that and I think that's what's really stood out for me on your journey is the way you show up and say hey I don't have all the answers I'm here to learn I'm here to ask questions and I'm here to apply things yeah. even down to going to investors and come back okay they said these things can we apply this yeah. COVID changes the sales and it's like okay well what can we do let's move our digital sales forward how can we do that and I think that's just so so important with business and I always want to be super vulnerable and I always say as well we don't have the answers we are learning as we're going as well and I think when more people show up like that it actually just means everyone's a bit happy. You don't have to pretend to be anything. You can ask questions and be like, I don't know. I'm asking loads of you. I'm asking you these questions today from somebody who's not gone and raised money. And I'm super intrigued. I'm like, wow, I'm learning a lot. So thank you so much. Yeah, exactly. No, of course. I completely agree. It's nice to have these open conversations about how we can all learn and be better. Yeah. I mean, it is the, it's the only way to improve. You have to be open and you have to be vulnerable and in business you have to be agile you cannot get stuck to thinking this one way is the only way you have to think there's always a hundred different things that we can do and I think COVID for every single business owner has tested them but some people won't have been able to pivot and some people unfortunately just because they haven't had the resources which is very sad but some people as well just because they don't have the right mindset Mm -hmm. and the mindset is so important and I say to my team we have a zoom online virtual catch-up every morning at 9am just to check in and see what's going on with each other And every day it changes. We'll say, okay, what's going on? What are the plans for today? And then something else has happened in the news. And the next day it's, okay, this needs to be the focus. This is what we're going to do. And we have to just 
be agile, like I said, be flexible and pivot. Yeah, 100%. Well, listen, thank you so much, Livia, for coming on and just being vulnerable and sharing your story. I know that it's going to have inspired so many women listening and just also you know, lifted the lid on the investment world from a entrepreneur's perspective, which is, in my opinion, so needed, especially for women as well. So thank you for being that and sharing that. And I want you to share your handles as well, because I would love any listeners to this, whether you're in the UK or out in the US, wherever you are in the world, I know there's going to be some takeaways that apply to you on this so tag myself at danielle canty please tag at bossbook.inc and livia do you want to share your handles yeah absolutely so our instagram is at livias l-i-v-i-a-s and our website is www.livias.co.uk i love that and i know where everyone can find you in the uk but can people buy your treats outside of the uk well, you can from our website, so we ship. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> we had had plans to start exporting later this year, but unfortunately, because of COVID, I think all of that's going to be pushed back. But in the meantime, just visit our online store, and you can get us from wherever you are in the world. Well, I know you're going to have some raving fans waiting, and if not, oh, like yeah. say, I'm going to be going to put my order in now. I know I can get ship to the US. <laughs> I need my home comforts. Having me, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more, and please leave us a review. I really want to hear what you enjoyed, what your main takeaways were, and I also want to know what you want to hear us talk about next. To say thanks for leaving us a review, we'll send you a copy of The Boss Babe 25. The Boss Babe 25 is the 25 essential resources you need for personal and professional growth. It covers everything from our favorite rituals, books, and hacks. If you want a copy, just leave us a review, screenshot it, and send to podcast at bossbabe.com. We will then email you a copy ASAP. And since we love Instagram, you can go to the hashtag The Boss Babe Podcast and find our latest post and leave a question in the comments. We love reading through the comments and we'll make sure to answer it on our next podcast. <laughs>